Uh, well, good morning, Christ Community. Uh, good to be with you. My name is Reed Kappel. I serve as the campus pastor here, the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. And if I haven't had the joy of meeting you yet, I would love to connect with you at some point uh, today. And so it is a joy to turn to God's Word together. Um, and so as we do, I want to just offer a brief prayer uh, as we hear from the Lord Jesus and His Word. So let's pray. Father, we ask in this time that you would humble us, remove our barriers of pride, of arrogance, of doubt and deceit, that we might hear you, that we might receive from you your truth in order that we might know and see, behold, and delight in the Lord Jesus and enter into his kingdom, living as citizens of that kingdom both now and forever. And so would this time be honoring to you and edifying to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the, the summer after I graduated high school, um, I uh, went to Colorado with some of my close friends, and we embarked on a hiking trip where we hiked Mount of the Holy Cross. Uh, this was an incredible hike. It was, it was a memorable time, but also a very grueling and challenging endeavor, largely because of the terrain of, of the trail and the hike that you had to take to get to the summit. You see, hiking a 14er, a peak above 14,000 feet, is challenging enough. But the trail to the summit of Mount Holy Cross required that you hike to 13,000 feet and then descend 1,000 feet down very quickly to then go back up another 2,500 feet or so to get to the summit. So this was not only physically taxing, it was emotionally exhausting because with, with every step we took down this descension, we knew we had to go back up to get to the top. We knew that in this moment, if we wanted to get to where we wanted to be, we had to descend down low, and it was grueling, because not only after coming down, we had to go down and then back up and then back down again, it was exhausting, but we knew that we had to descend down low in order to get where we wanted. And, and as I, sh I share this story, I, I can't help but think of how this is, in some ways, this metaphor for the life that Jesus invites us to into his kingdom. As we think about what Jesus has come to do in ushering in the kingdom of God, we see that in his kingdom we find that it is much lower than we realize. Now, now that we're exploring Jesus' kingdom, rediscovering the kingdom in our series in the Gospel of Luke. And, and what I want us to see as we enter into what Jesus is offering us is that he's showing us how we enter and how we live in this kingdom. And as we prepare to hear from Jesus in his word, I want to suggest this one idea. If you take one thing away from our time together, I hope it's this, that the kingdom is lower than we think. The kingdom is lower than we think. Just like my hike up to the summit of Mount Holy Cross, how I had to descend low in order to get where I wanted, Jesus is showing us that the life we long to live in his kingdom is actually lower than we think. Now, if you were with us last week, either here or with us online, I offered a very simple definition of what the kingdom of Jesus means. This is a theme that Jesus reiterates more than anything else in his teaching in the Gospels, and it's important for us to know what is Jesus saying? What is the kingdom? And we will continue to teach on this truth as we continue through God, the Gospel of Luke, but I want to remind us that the kingdom of Jesus is this. It is the realm where God's reign brings about what God really wants. The kingdom of Jesus is the realm where God's reign brings about what God really wants. And part of what this means is that if we are to live as citizens of this kingdom, 
here and now, we must understand that it will impact every nook and cranny of our life. The kingdom is this all-encompassing, comprehensive reality that the people of Jesus must understand. That Jesus has come to reign over all of life, meaning that there is no part of our lives, if we're followers of Jesus, that Jesus does not have jurisdiction over. He has come to be king. And we see this played out in our text this morning as Jesus interacts with this rich ruler, contrasted with his interaction with the blind beggar. So if you have your Bibles, have them open to Luke chapter 18. I want to kind of just set the context here for where we are. So this, this rich ruler comes to Jesus, inquiring of him, wanting to know how to inherit eternal life. It seems like a legit question. And, and on top of that, this man seems to be someone who Jesus should be eager to recruit into his kingdom. I mean, the brother is wealthy, he is influential, he's successful, he's thoughtful, he's even respectful with his question of recognizing Jesus as a good teacher. He's a shoe in to the kingdom, right? But listen to how Jesus responds to him in verse 19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, you might be thinking with me, as, along with me, is like, Jesus, like, lighten up, buddy. Like, wh- like, you seem like you're just on the defense. Like, why is Jesus just attacking this guy as he comes with him what, what, with what appears to be a very authentic and sincere question? Now, the the rich ruler, what is happening here, he's approaching Jesus very similar to how many people today approach Jesus. He's approaching him as a good teacher. He sees Jesus as offering something that might be helpful for his life and to be a supplement to what he is already pursuing in his idea of what the good life is. And this this is not how Jesus is to be received. He is not merely a good teacher, which is partly why Jesus is perturbed by him. But additionally, Jesus, being God, being omniscient, all-knowing, knows the motivation of this man's heart, of why he is coming to Jesus and asking this question. He knows that this guy is really just interested in kind of adding some aspect of Jesus to his life and not radically giving his life to Jesus and his kingdom. And so Jesus goes along with this game that this rich ruler is playing. So he kind of asks them this question, like, well, you know the commandments, what are they, you know? And he, and he kind of rattles them off. And sure enough, this rich ruler reveals his true colors in what he says in verse 21. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. I mean, just, just listen to the audacious claim that this guy is saying to Jesus, the son of God, the only one who actually kept the commandments of God from his youth. This guy is boasting in his moral religious piety. And so this guy who claims that he has kept the commandments from his youth, he actually did not keep something very important from his youth, namely his youth. If you were with us last week, we talked about the posture of those who receive the kingdom. And Jesus says that we must be like children, that we should never grow out of our posture of dependence and need. And this guy very much did. While he claims that he kept the commandments from his youth, he didn't keep his youth from his youth. He grew rather in a posture that was rooted more in independence and affluence. The very things that Jesus spoke against in showing the posture of children as those who receive the kingdom. And here we see this first point that I want to address in our sermon. We see what keeps us out of the kingdom. We see what keeps us out of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is going after. He's going after the treasure of this man's heart. 
He's identifying the thing that this man has built his life upon, the thing that he clings to so tightly that he's unwilling to let go in order to receive Jesus and his kingdom. And we see it in Jesus' words in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, when he heard the claim, like, I've kept the commands from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, followers of Jesus for years and years and years have wrestled with this teaching of Jesus, and rightly so, because it's a tall order. But one thing we have to see is that Jesus, in this passage, he is not offering a universally prescriptive command for all of his followers throughout time in all places. Rather, what he is doing is offering a tailor-fitted exhortation to this rich ruler based on what Jesus knows of his proclivities, of his possessions, and his passions. And he charges the rich ruler to be willing to let go of his possessions, to sell them and give to the poor, in order that this rich ruler might follow the more important charge of following Jesus. Did you catch that? Jesus doesn't simply say, uh, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. He says, and come follow me. Jesus hits the nail on the head in addressing the very thing standing in the way of this man in receiving the kingdom of Jesus. And we see that in what happens next. Look at verse 23. But when he, referring to the rich ruler, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the New Testament, known as the message, captures this really beautifully in this moment of what this rich ruler is feeling. He says this, this was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. Now, while the charge to sell all his possessions is not universal to all of Jesus' followers, that, that we, we need to see Jesus speaking uniquely to this man. What we do have to recognize, we can't be let off the hook so easily, what we do have to recognize is that what is universal is that wealth is a major barrier for all people in some way, shape, or form to receiving the, ki- the kingdom of Jesus. Wealth is universally a major barrier for those of us who want to know Jesus, follow him, and live life now and forever in his kingdom, which is why Luke records these words of Jesus in verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he, referring to the rich ruler, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard to enter the kingdom of Jesus when we are inflated by our our arrogance and our accomplishments, which very much was represented by this rich ruler, but also when we are engorged by our affluence and our accoutrements. And it took me a long time to find an A word that would fit with that. But but really, this is what happens. It is hard for us to receive from Jesus when we are so consumed with our, our moral piety and with our possessions, and with what we have built our lives upon, the comforts and ease of life. When Jesus talks about entering the narrow door earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter 13, I can't help but think about this picture that that part of why it is hard to enter the narrow door entering the kingdom is because we have too much stuff that we are holding on to in life that is keeping us from entering Jesus' kingdom. 
The problem was not that this man was wealthy. That's not the problem in and of itself inherently. The problem was that this man had a dysfunctional relationship with his wealth. The point of this story is not that Jesus is beating up rich people, which for the record is virtually all of us, okay? Virtually all of us. What Jesus is doing, though, is lovingly pointing out the thing that is standing in this man's way in seeing, receiving, delighting in, and living in the kingdom of an abundant life that Jesus offers. And so Jesus' word is not a word about beating this man up. He is trying to point out the thing that is robbing this man of the life that he longs to live. Several of us pastors on staff have been reading a book by Martin Schleske uh, called The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty. It's an incredible read. I I think uh, Nathan mentioned it earlier this year. Uh, But he is a luthier, a violin maker, and this book is all about making these beautiful comparisons between violin making and the life of following Jesus. And it is is astounding. I, I highly recommend it. But in talking about this very idea of being kept back because of our wealth and possessions, Schleski says this, he says, the woe, the word, the, word, the word of warning that Jesus gives to the wealthy is not a decree of judgment, but a cry of pain, a holy sorrow. For the rich have satisfied themselves in a way that hinders them from searching with their whole hearts. That's exactly what Jesus is getting at. He's not offering this legalistic rule, a list of rules to follow. He is pointing out the thing that keeps us from living with our lives, with our eyes wide open, beholding and receiving the goodness of Jesus and the fullness of his kingdom. this, This resonates with me, and my guess is that it resonates with you as well. And so we should ask ourselves this question, what is it that keeps us out of the kingdom? What is it that stands in our way? I think part of what Jesus is saying here is that what keeps us out of the kingdom is our self-sufficiency. It's our self-sufficiency. When we want for nothing, when, when we live our lives with such comfort and ease and access to as much as we want, we may find that the kingdom of Jesus has very little to offer us. When we want for nothing, the kingdom of Jesus may end up really having nothing to offer us. The more lavish our kingdoms are that we build, the less likely we are to be interested in Jesus and his kingdom. When we trust in our material wealth or our moral worth, just like the rich ruler, we will find it hard to see Jesus' kingdom because the kingdom is lower than we think. Recently, I was in a conversation with a fellow pastor here in Kansas City, Pastor Charles Bond of Mount Pleasant Baptist uh, Church here in Kansas City. And and we were just talking about and just kind of commiserating together the challenges of of pastoring in this pandemic and what it's like, and just even just honestly bearing to each other our hearts and challenges of following Jesus ourselves. And he said something to me that I I will not soon forget. He said, Reed, when Jesus does not have our attention, he will disturb what does. That's gold, y'all. Like, that's, that's worth the price of admission. Like, just listen. When Jesus does not have our attention, he will disturb what does. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing with the rich ruler. And I believe it is exactly what Jesus, lovingly so, is doing with you and I. Awakening us to the things that we have built our lives on, that we cling to so tightly, that keeps us from receiving Jesus. Jesus isn't wanting us to, to, he isn't wanting to coerce us into some kind of obligation of obedience or a legalistic lifestyle. 
Rather, he is wanting to awaken us to the hollow things we've built our lives upon that vie for our attention and our affections and that keep us from Jesus and the life of his kingdom, both now and forever. And so friends, a question we should ask ourselves is this, what is it that we are holding on to so tightly? As Pastor Jennifer mentioned in the children's moment, kids, as we think about that, what are the things that we hold on to so tightly that we cannot let go of? What has our attention? What is Jesus disturbing in your life and in my life in order to get our attention? And are we looking low enough? Are we looking humbly enough? Are we looking simply enough in order to see Jesus and to know the life that he invites us into in his kingdom? Living in the kingdom means having a lower view of our own goodness as well as a lower view of our own understanding of what the blessed life is so that we might have a higher view of Jesus' goodness and his definition of the blessed life. And when we do, when we understand this, we, we can experience a life that is found in giving ourselves away, a life that is lived in sacrificing for the sake of others, a life that is freed by being bound to Jesus, our King. It is a contrary and seemingly paradoxical truth, but we find freedom in being bound to Jesus. So we see that our own self-sufficiency is what keeps us out of the kingdom, But as we turn to this contrasting narrative of Jesus and the blind beggar, what we find is what gets us into the kingdom. It is our self-sufficiency that keeps us out, but what is it that gets us into the kingdom? Now, I believe Luke has placed this narrative of the blind beggar here specifically to contrast with the story of the rich ruler. And what we see, it's a a very similar story to actually the children narrative in verses 15 through 17. We see the blind beggar coming to Jesus just as the children did in a place of of complete dependence and need, unashamed need and dependence. And when the blind man heard that it was Jesus who was walking by, listen to how he responded in verses 38 and 39. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This experience of the blind man is almost identical to that of the children. If you remember, the children were brought to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them. The same word is used here. They are rebuked, they are cast aside, they are rejected, and they are not welcome to be in the presence of Jesus according to his disciples. But this blind beggar will not allow the crowds to condemn him. He doesn't allow the the voice of the crowd to drown out his cries for Jesus to have mercy upon him. He persists. And this man, whose loss of sight undoubtedly made his hearing even more impeccable, as we know that, that tends to happen when we lose a certain sense, his hearing that is probably even greater than his sight in this moment is able to hear Jesus. And hear Jesus he did. Look with me at verses 41 through 43. Jesus responds to the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I mean, you you can feel this man's deep need and longing and desire to have Jesus come to him, to show mercy to him. 
I mean, as I was reading this passage and writing this part of my sermon, I was, I was getting teary-eyed because I, I, I want to have this kind of posture. I want to have this kind of longing. When was the last time I cried out in sincerity of heart, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me? I want that kind of trust. I want that kind of dependence and recognition of my need. But what I, what I want to bring our attention to is what I think Luke is doing, is showing us the stark contrast between the blind man and the rich ruler. L- look with me, I mean, look with the, how the rich ruler responds. He comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do? What must I do? The blind beggar comes to him and says, have mercy on me. The rich ruler boasts about his religious and spiritual and moral piety, all these I have kept. The blind beggar says, Lord, let me recover my sight recognizing that it's Jesus is the one who can only do this. The rich ruler, after interacting with Jesus, what does he do? He became very sad and left. The blind beggar, in response to Jesus, follows him, and people glorify God. What is it that keeps us out of the kingdom? It's trusting in our, our own abilities, boasting in our own accomplishments, clinging to our own affluence, It blinds us from Jesus and his kingdom. So what is it that gets us in? I believe in some small way, in in no small part, it is self-awareness. Self-awareness. There's such powerful irony in this interaction between the rich ruler and comparing the rich ruler to to the blind man. It's the man without sight who sees the kingdom and receives it. And it's the man who has everything who leaves sad. The rich ruler could see the kingdom before him in the person of Jesus, but did not really want to receive it. The blind beggar could not see the kingdom, but desperately desired it. And the thing that made all the difference between the rich ruler and, this, uh, and, and the blind beggar is that the, rich, the, the, the blind beggar was aware of his need for mercy. The rich ruler was not. The blind beggar was aware that he needed to hear Jesus to be healed. The rich ruler was not. The blind beggar recognized that he was blind. The rich ruler was not. And so friends, as we bring this text from the first century into the 21st century, we should ask ourselves this question. Are we aware of our desperate need for Jesus? Are we aware of our moral and spiritual blindness? Are we aware that that Jesus can hear us and that Jesus can heal us? Are we aware of the voice of Jesus that beckons us to come to him over the crowds that tell us, you cannot come to Jesus? Can we hear his voice amidst the crowds that condemn us and rebuke us and cast us away? Living life in Jesus' kingdom means that we see our lowly state so that we might see Jesus and follow him. Jesus is not in the business of wanting to beat us up and make us feel guilty. He is wanting us to have a proper understanding of ourselves so that we might see clearly as the blind man did. The kingdom is lower than we think. But do we see our need to descend into humility, down into dependence, down into repentance to receive from Jesus in order that we might be lifted up and brought into the kingdom of Jesus now and forever? Because indeed, this is actually how Jesus makes life in his kingdom possible. 
Jesus goes lower than we think to lift us up. And so what is it that makes life in the kingdom possible? We've seen what keeps us out. We've seen what gets us in. But what is it that makes life in the kingdom possible? And it's found in the passage that I intentionally skipped over. Maybe you noticed it. That is strategically placed right in between the story of the rich ruler and the blind beggar. Look with me, verses 31 through 33. And taking the twelve, his disciples, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Luke has been showing us the posture of those who are willing and able to receive the kingdom. But now he shows us what makes that kingdom life possible. Or perhaps a better way to say is that he shows us who makes this kingdom life possible. Jesus has come to bring God's kingdom to earth and to reclaim the rightful property of his Father, which is all of creation. And he has come to put to death the thing that brings about death, namely sin, in order that the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray might come to fruition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus has made this kingdom possible by defeating the great barrier to the kingdom, namely sin and death itself, through his cross. And by rising again to offer new creation life for those who trust and follow Jesus. We believe that the finished work of Jesus on the cross is what makes the life that we all long to live possible. A life lived in the kingdom with Jesus and for Jesus now and forever. But friends, in order to receive and enter into this life that I know we desperately long to live, It requires us looking lower than we think. It is as low as Jesus being crucified and lowered into the ground only to be raised again to newness of life. And so if you're you're here with us or joining us online and you have not come to find Jesus, if you have questions and doubts or objections or, or perhaps you've been like this blind beggar, like the children, you've been rebuked and cast aside, Whatever the challenges may be in following Jesus, perhaps the thing that's keeping you from seeing Jesus is you haven't looked low enough. If you have not found Jesus, perhaps we need to bring our gaze lower to see that it is in humility and sacrifice and death where we find life. My prayer is that we would come to find the one who entered into lowly humanity who worked as a lowly carpenter, who associated himself with the lowly, and who was lifted high by being laid low on the cross and in the grave so that we might be forgiven and brought into newness of life. Amen? I can't see your faces, so I need to hear you say amen. There we go. There we go. That, that helps. That helps. It's hard to read faces nowadays, but, but Jesus calls us. Jesus calls us to surrender our self-sufficiency. Not because he wants to be condescending, but because he wants to awaken us to our need for him. He wants to remove the distractions that vie for our attention and our affection so that we might, in sincerity of heart and in desperation of soul, declare to him, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so friends, this is the question. Do we have this ability? 
for the first time and for the 100th time to in our life declare to Jesus, Jesus, you are the son of David, the promised Messiah, the one who is God and man who came to restore heaven and earth, God and his people once and for all. Do we have the ability to cry out to him, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on us and may your kingdom come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment asking that you would. And, and this is a bold prayer, Lord. We ask that you would show us the things that we cling to too tightly, the things that we have built our lives upon, the things that in, in our minds think bring a sense of joy and validation and contentment and worth. Lord, would you show us both the, the futility of those things, but also the, the pernicious and deadly nature of clinging to them because they keep us from receiving you and your good news of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to these things that vie for our attention and our affection so that we might, with new and fresh eyes, behold Jesus, the son of David, who has come to be the rescuer of this world, to redeem us, to declare us forgiven, and call us his beloved children. Lord, would we, like this blind beggar, cry out in desperation. For those who are far from you, Lord, draw them near. For those who have drifted, would you bring them close? And for those of us, Lord, who have rooted our, our pride and arrogance in our accomplishments, would you humble us to find that the kingdom is lower than we think, and may we see it in the low, humble, but beautiful and glorious person of Jesus. Through his cross, we are redeemed. Through his resurrection, we defeat death. And through his ascension and his return, we will reign with him forever. May it be so. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.